All right, so Matthew, the 18th chapter. I got a word I want to deliver to you today. And listen, some sermons are written and then some are given. I honor both. That's why you have to study to show yourself approved. But also the Holy Spirit oftentimes will release a word. I'm telling you, I, I preached this to myself yesterday. I spent several hours at our Queens headquarters and just preached this to myself, just weeping in the presence of God. And it was one of those defining moments. I believe that this is going to be a sermon that really, there's your life before this word and after, okay? So let's look at Matthew chapter 18. And the saints said amen when they found it. All right, come on, man. My amen corner's over here. That's where the ushers, that's where the ushers are putting them now, to to the corner, the bullpen. Those are the ones like, come on. They start, you know, the bullpen. Come on, I'm, you know, you, you ever feel that? You're charging up in the spirit. Have you ever had somebody preach it and you're like, keep going, keep going. I'm getting ready to run. That's me. When people are preaching, I feel it in my gut when it's from the Lord and it just starts turning things over. So I feel like this word has that. Um, Matthew chapter 18. Now they're having this discussion and this discussion is still happening today. The disciples of Jesus are, were saying, who's the greatest? And they were having this little discussion. Now, for those of you who think that this was only Matthew 18 and it only happened 2,000 years ago, the conversation of who's the greatest is still happening today. So let me just put it like this. Um, Who has the best car? We're thinking that. Who has the nicest house here on Long Island? Long Island. My house is bigger than yours. (laughs) Um. You know, here's another one, like you size people up. When you look at them, you look at their clothes, you look at the shape of their body, you look at their spouse and you're like, oh, okay, their spouse is ugly, I feel better. Um, Which one of us is the greatest? Okay, let me talk to the prophetic people. Which one of us is the most powerful prophet? Because I know some disciples within the charismatic movement that didn't have the humility of, man, thank God you speak to me and I can be a vessel to be used for you. It's, I am the prophet of God. I'll take a number three with a side of Coke. So here's the thing. This conversation about who is the greatest is still happening today. Jesus got involved. That's a baby, not a demon. Was I the only one who thought it? I was like, really? Another one? Please let me preach. I'm like, no, that's just, a, that's just a hungry baby. False, hey, false alarm. False alarm. <laughs> it's a thing. I feel like I can preach forever, so I gotta get to the point here. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, and then they asked Jesus, hey, Jesus, which one of us is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus, he called a little child unto him, and he set the child in the midst of them. And he said, verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. So unless you convert and become like a little child, like this little kid you see, you will not, you, will not, you can't. It's impossible. You cannot enter the kingdom. And then verse four says, whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Verse five, and whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receives me, receives me. I have three principles that I wanna show you in scripture today. Principle number one is the greatest 
is the greatest error. Let me, let me back up. True greatness is determined by true dependence on God. True greatness is determined by true dependence on God. So the one who's the greatest is the one who has become, who's chosen to become the most dependent. People say, oh, you go to that church. Religion is a crutch. No, no, you got it wrong. It's more than a crutch. It's life support. I'm dead without Jesus. I, it's, people, it's like a crutch. Oh, man, you're giving me more credit. You say, oh, it's a crutch. You're, you're acting like I can at least limp. I can't do anything without Jesus. This is more than a crutch. It's my lifeline. It's my everything. This is not a crutch. You're giving me too much credit. Next time somebody tells you religion's a crutch, you're like, well, first of all, I don't have religion. I have a relationship. And second of all, I don't have a crutch. He's literally the breath in my lungs. And then when you freak him out, they'll be like, chill, bro, chill. Chill, bro, chill, bro. And then they'll scream when they're watching sports and then act like you're crazy for screaming during church. But, that, but that's just because we're a part of two different kingdoms. See, the difference is in my kingdom, my team wins every time. I just had to be sassy. Matthew chapter 18, verse one through seven, though, says, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom. Now, don't ever pray, God, humble me. Because everywhere in scripture, it says, humble yourself. So you can't ask God to do something that he gave you the responsibility to do. So God told you, humble yourself. So don't say, God, humble me, God. God's like, humble yourself. <laughs> That's your job. Turn to your neighbor and say, humble yourself. That was the only time you're going to be able to tell them that. You're welcome. True greatness is determined by how truly dependent we are on God. I want to show you what it means to be a child. I was a child once. I know it's hard to believe it but I was a child once. <laughs> now, if you can't tell from the picture, I was the very first hipster pastor. I had my button all the way to the top. I had my frames, and I was a little man. I was a ruthless tycoon in business, can you tell? <laughs> That's me. Thank you. They were talking about the adult me, but whatever. No, I'm just kidding. But here's the thing, um, children are, they're humble, but let me give you five reasons why. Number one, a child has no achievements. A little child has no real achievements. Number two, a little child has no real accomplishments. Number three, a little child has no ability to chart their own course. They simply cannot do that. You don't turn to your kid and you say, hey, which way should I turn this stroller? Or you don't look in the basket and say, can I cross the street now? Your little child has no ability to determine the course of their life. Number four, a little child has no wisdom of their own. They, they haven't had life experiences to give them wisdom. Number five, no ability to provide for themselves. Now, do you think it's strange that the Bible says, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. And then Jesus shows up and says, you must become like a child to enter this kingdom. And so if you chart your own path, the Bible says there's a way that seems right to man, but the end of it is death. So if you try to even be an adult, 
and you take the place of your heavenly father, you will not get you to your destination. But if you become childlike and you say, God, I'm not leaning on my own understanding, but I'm acknowledging you in all my ways, then he will do what a little child cannot do for you. Are you getting a revelation? Children are vulnerable. But here, we don't want to be vulnerable. I love it. This is always the first time visitor men whose wife said, I'm going to leave you if you don't go to this church with me. <laughs> They're like, he got me. The first time visitor man who the wife said, I'm going to leave you if you don't visit, always comes in like this. And so, hey, nice to meet you, Pastor Mike. Great word. <laughs> always square up with me. Yeah, great. Yeah, it was good. Yep, mm -hmm. it was good. Then they get in the car with their wife and they're like, that was nuts. I don't know if I can go back or whatever they say. But I say that because children are vulnerable. But we learn as adults to stop being vulnerable. We learn to stop being, putting ourselves out there. Matter of fact, to be an adult says we're not going to be desperate for care. We're going to care for ourselves. But this is exactly the way that we enter the kingdom is by being desperate for God's care, for saying, God, I don't know. I've got more degrees in a thermometer, but that still makes me simple-minded compared to your ways. Uh, God, I know that I know these people through relationship, but even if all of them gave me every opportunity they could, it's still not enough to fulfill my purpose. I need a relationship with you, God. I'm dependent on you, God. I'm not dependent on me. I'm dependent on you. I'm not dependent on them. Whether they see what I have inside of me, you placed what's inside of me before I was in my mother's womb. And so I'd be dependent on you. you. You guys are okay. Children are weak. They're, they're immature. But see, we don't want people to believe we're immature, but we are immature. I've met 65-year-olds with the maturity level of a 17-year-old. See, biologically, you keep having birthdays, but that doesn't mean you're advancing intellectually and emotionally. Just another birthday changes your age, but it doesn't change your maturity. And so, like, but here's the thing. Kids don't act like they're mature. A little kid just is simple-minded enough to say, I'm not mature. But it's only us who are like, Pastor Mike, if you would listen to my advice, I could tell you how to run the church because I'm mature. I know everything, right? Or in my case, I'm constantly trying to convince my wife how to take pills and vitamins to help herself. And I, somehow I think I'm an MD in my own marriage. Am I right? And so it's like, Julie, trust me. I've watched a lot of YouTube videos. You need to take this and this and this. And she's like, you're going to kill me if you don't stop. We all think more of ourselves than we ought to. But children are vulnerable. They're unable to defend themselves. They're unable to achieve anything of true significance. They have no personal worth. They have no accomplishments they're holding on to. So this is what you have to do in order to come into the kingdom. Okay, can I just go there? <laughs> so we've built this thing called Christianity where pastors think less of themselves when they have less people in their church and more of themselves when they have more people, more buildings, more people. Listen, who made that up? 
So here's the thing I need you to understand is that if you think that you're gonna bring your accomplishments before the Lord or that those accomplishments are gonna qualify you. Matter of fact, you got pastors and ministers around the world chasing metrics that don't align with the metrics of heaven. It's, oh, come on. Heaven never gave you that assignment. Another man did and it produced competition and jealousy in your heart and you're chasing an assignment. What if you're not successful because your definition of success is not in alignment with the kingdom? See what, I mean, who told you to have it and when did they tell you to get it? Because you always want stuff you shouldn't have before you should even get it. And so sometimes God will kill the American dream so that his dream for your life can be resurrected. Come on, somebody. But you gotta become like a child. Come on, maybe the pain you're experiencing is not God's fault, it's your fault for accepting a counterfeit dream. So this is exactly how we enter the kingdom. We give up anything and everything that looks like an accomplishment to us, and we say it's not an accomplishment. Because watch this, and this is if you're trying to do something great for your life, if you learn to live by their praises, then you also will die by their criticisms. (laughs) This is like... I don't need to get your amen. I've already gotten the word from God and I preach in season and out of season. I need his approval, not your approval. But see, you can get the fear of man when you're not childlike. You can go for the approval of man. I wanna show you Joseph, David, Moses, Daniel, and Jesus. Because when you look at their stories, it's all the same story. You must actually embrace a lower status. Okay, let me just tell you something that God will do. You'll think that you're low, you think life is hard, and then God will bring you lower. No amens on that, but it's the truth. Okay, let me just tell you, we all talk about David was being faithful with the sheep to watch the sheep. Yeah, but God actually took him lower than being a shepherd for a season. So you'll look at your life, and you'll be like, God, it's already so hard. He's like, I'm about to take you even lower so that I can take you even higher. Watch this. What's lower than David with the sheep? It's David getting javelins thrown at him by King Saul and hiding in a cave. But you're saying, I need a mentor. I need somebody to see what's inside of me. I need somebody to validate it. But see, sometimes you don't get a mentor that tells you what to do. You get a mentor that shows you what you shouldn't do. And you're saying, God, nobody ever came to help me. And he said, I took what the enemy meant for harm and I'm turning it around for your good. So maybe you didn't have a pastor that showed you the right way, but they showed you what you shouldn't do. And that's David's story. David's story is saying, hey, David, I need you to embrace being a target of the king so that one day I can make you the king. But then when I make you king, you'll remember who's the king of all kings. See how that works? Let me show you David, Joseph. Joseph was in farming agriculture. You know what's worse than being a farmer? Being a slave. God gave him a dream. I, God was going to use me to do this thing. And he's telling his brothers and his brothers are like, oh yeah, we got a plan. See, what's worse than being a farmer is being a slave. God said, I, well, I gave you the dream, but now I have to take you on the journey to build the character to sustain that dream. See, when I gave you the dream, Joseph, <laughs> When I gave you the dream, Joseph, you trusted me. But when you go through the journey, I'm going to be provoked to trust you. 
See, all of us, God, I trust you, but does God trust you? <laughs> See, there's a journey God will take you on of building trust. I know this is settling in your gut. Let's look at Moses. Moses was adopted. You think it was awkward when he's looking at Pharaoh's family being like, which one's not like the other? <laughs> See, he was floated in a wicker basket down the Nile and he was adopted by Pharaoh's family. But you know what's worse than being adopted? Going in the wilderness, spending a lonely season in the wilderness where now you went from having at least the adopted family of Pharaoh's courts to having no family at all. Do you see what God will do? He'll take you lower than you think. Is there anybody here that you're like, I didn't think it could get any worse, and then it got worse? Daniel, he goes to Babylon in the king's courts. Now, this is a side note, because we're talking about the spiritual implication. This man named Daniel, as he was in the king's courts, I don't know if you know this, Babylon castrated him which was a common practice when they would bring Hebrews into, you know, the Israelites into relationship with them so they could keep them subservient. You know what, and, and how many of you know there's still a spirit of Babylon that's trying to castrate our men spiritually today and remove biblical masculinity? You know what's worse than him coming into Babylon, being castrated, and then choosing to only eat vegetables while everybody else was eating choice meat? Going down lower to the lion's den. See, but there's a revelation here when it gets worse. I'm speaking to somebody who's like, why does my situation get worse? I'm telling you, sometimes God will allow it. How do I know that? Because God sent his only son, Jesus, from paradise all the way to the pit and said, you're gonna become a baby. Now, if God brought himself into the form of a baby through Jesus, he's provoking you to become childlike and go back to that state as well. Isn't that profound? Isn't that deep? to humble yourself, to lower yourself. God humbled himself and became the baby Jesus. And so he'll, he'll ask you, are you also willing to go back? Here's how he'll ask it, watch. To come into the kingdom, are you willing to go back past the triggers to the trauma that produced the trigger that's producing the sin? Who am I talking to? Who am I talking to right now? To become childlike. To enter the kingdom, you have to go back to the point where the trauma happened that produced the trigger, and the trigger determines how you sin. See, a lot of churches, this is a side note, they get real good at behavior modification, and they tell you you need to stop sinning, but they don't deal with the trauma that produced the trigger that produces the sin. And so they make you feel real bad about the sin, but that's guilt, that's not conviction. See, oh, somebody. But what happens when you deal with the trauma that produced the trigger that produces the sin is now you stop sinning, but not because of behavior modification. You stop sinning because whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Watch, if you stop sinning because someone told you to stop doing it, you're free. You're free from the sin. But if you let him heal the trauma that's producing that sin, you are free indeed. And that's why we've got to go back. See, this little boy that I showed you, this version of me, and as you look at this little boy, already by this age, I had encountered a significant amount of physical abuse. 
my biological father would beat me. We had uh, joint custody. I spent my time split between my father and my mother. I would come back to my mother's house completely covered in bruises from head to toe. He wouldn't give me a bath. Matter of fact, and I, I don't share this often, but for the sake of the, of the word today, even would do sadistic, weird things. He fed me, at one point was feeding me raw meat. I actually got salmonella poisoning and almost died in the hospital. I had to spend weeks and weeks in the hospital as I was recovering. This, that all happened before this picture was taken. And the reason why I show you that, and I bear my scars, they're not wounds anymore, they're scars, is because oftentimes it's the hardest for people to become childlike when their childhood ended too soon. I feel chills all over me, Julie. When your childhood ends too soon and you say, nobody's coming to save me, Nobody's coming to fix this. I'll fix it myself. I'll take the reins. I'll take control. And you become an adult too soon. But then Jesus says, but in order to get in this kingdom, you've got to become childlike. And you're like, why would I ever go back to that place of dependency? Why would I ever be that vulnerable again? Why would I ever? The last time I was dependent on my earthly father, I was beaten. I almost died as a result of being dependent on him. I will, I, so you start to put up the walls of defense some of the most wounded people are the most prideful people because pride is their shield against the world. They don't know how to be vulnerable because the last time they tried it, some of the people, I know I'm speaking to somebody. This is about to be a freedom for, I feel a breakthrough. I, I know this is uncomfortable. I know this is uncomfortable, but Jesus knew what he was saying when he said, you have to become like a child. He wasn't saying, go back to that state of vulnerability so that they could use you again. He was saying, trust me, I'm not like your dad. I'm better than your dad. He was saying, trust me, he failed you, but I'm not like man. I cannot fail. Trust me, he abandoned you, but I can't walk out. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And see, here's the thing. I, I actually am a little boy again, but I sit in the lap of my heavenly father now. And see, when your childhood has been ripped from you too soon, you'll actually get into this place of self-reliance. But Psalm chapter 46, verse 10 says this, be still and know that I am God. The Hebrew for be still means surrender to intentionally weaken yourself. I'm gonna add to it, become childlike and then you will know that I am God. Some of you forgot what it's like. Joseph, you've got to go lower than farming and head into slavery. Be still. You're going to weaken yourself. Be still, but you're going to know that I'm God. Oh, but let me just tell you a revelation about that. When you're a single man and your whole life has been jacked up, the brothers that you thought were supposed to help you sold you out into slavery, the one time you get an opportunity to have sex with Potiphar's wife, you're gonna do it because you're gonna say, my life's been so hard, I'm gonna get mine, I don't care if they kill me for sleeping with this woman, my life's never gonna get better, so what does it matter anyways? Have you ever sinned like that? I know it's getting quiet. Most sin is connected to a lack of vision. When you can't see what's ahead, you'll make a permanent decision in the present. See, but here's how I know that Joseph had faith. 
He wanted to sleep with Potiphar's wife. He wanted to even convince himself that it was worth it, but he fled from it because I'm gonna give up something that might feel good for something that's greater. My dependency on God is increasing. God, I need you more. God, I ran from Potiphar's wife, but you know I wanted to do it so desperately. You know I wanted to be bitter, but I choose to be better. There's an anointing on this word for somebody. David must go lower than tending the sheep. He's got to go into a cave. And you know he wanted to talk about Saul. You know he wanted to uh, gossip about Saul, but he even had a conviction in his heart and said, I'm going to choose to be better. There, I, my mentor's trying to kill me. My mentor, he's, I can't believe it. I'm going to be king one day, and the one guy who's king should be teaching me how to be king. And I, I God, how could this be happening? But I, no, nevertheless, he, he'll, he writes Psalm 23 that says, Lord, you are my shepherd. You, you guide me beside still waters. See, he began what should have been the worst time of his life. He's saying, Lord, you're my shepherd. I need Saul to be my mentor, but he's trying to kill me. You be my mentor. And God was like, yes, David. Yes, you're learning, David. You're getting ready to be elevated because this is, this is the next one I need you to get. Principle number two, embrace the seasons that many resist and your destiny will be released. Embrace the season. Oh, I want to come out from underneath this single season. I want to go get with people. I'm tired of being alone. See, but that's how everybody thinks. That's why they're all in bondage. Embrace the season everybody else resists and your purpose will be released. See, oh, this church, they don't see how anointed I am. They don't see my gifting. They got me greeting when I should be preaching. I can't stand this place. I'm going to go make my own logo, my own ministry. I'm going to go do my own thing. Embrace the sea. See, everybody thinks like that, which is why God says, I'll give you no influence. I'll give you no authority in the kingdom. Because if you can't be under authority, you should never be in authority. And the Lord will literally say, take a seat and you'll be standing up, but he'll give you a seat. And here's the thing, but if you embrace it, God, if nobody knows my name, I'm becoming childlike. No, God, if nobody sees me, you see me. God, if I'm in children's ministry, but I'm, I believe I'm supposed to be preaching to adults, I'll embrace the season everybody else resists because you're gonna release my purpose. And God, when you open a door, no man can shut it. And when you promote, no man can demote. And so I don't have to self-promote because I'm childlike. I'm promoted by you when it's time because the gift of God makes room for you and it brings you before great men. But if you bring yourself before great men, you're about to get demoted. Childlike, childlike. This word's got some oil on it for somebody. Everybody repeat after me, I will not quit in this season. I will not curse my journey. You're about to break through. Come on. Just repeat after me. I will trust my God. I will trust his word. I will see it come to pass. I have childlike faith. Come on, would you stand to your feet with me right now? First.
1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12 says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. I got a question for you. Are you somebody's stepping stone or their stumbling block? The Lord is looking for examples today. The Lord is looking for examples today. Are you somebody's stepping stone or are you their stumbling block? We got pastors and preachers being sifted around the world right now because somebody went to them with their problems and the pastor said, let's have a drink together. No, stop being a stumbling block and become a stepping stone. When somebody comes to me with their problem, I'm not gonna give you a drink. I'm gonna give you a prophetic word. We're gonna pray together. Come on, somebody. But for, for far too long, the way that we've treated relationships is wrong. And I, this is my, my next one. I wanna give you this like last and final principle. It's so powerful. Principle number three, God always elevates examples that bring him glory. It's that simple. He always elevates examples that bring him glory. If everybody evangelized like you, could he elevate you or would the world go to hell? If everybody gave like you, would the church have to shut all of its, all of its campuses down because we couldn't afford it anymore? If everybody attended like you, would we have empty seats every Sunday? There's, there's, a, there's a, a call because here's what I'm dealing with. I'm dealing with, you're about to graduate. This is your final exam. This is your last big test. And I'm trying, you know, I feel it. I'm trying to get you to pass your test because some of you are about to fail again and go back around that mountain. It's time for you to be a, st a stepping stone, not a stumbling block. You've got to, you got to draw people to deeper relationship with Jesus. You know, you know the meat of the word. You know the character of God. It's graduation time. Pass this last test. Be an example. My heart is broken because the examples that we need in the earth right now are falling, dropping like flies. But David said, I know I failed, but God, I'm a man after your own heart. So even with Bathsheba and sin in his life, God was still able to exalt him, not because God was exalting David's perfection, because he wasn't perfect, but because God was elevating a perfect heart before him. Some of you are like, why could God, why would God use me? You can't be perfect but you can become perfect hearted and God will elevate you up. Say, this is what a heart of repentance looks like. This is what a heart of restoration looks like. Joseph followed God. Moses followed God. These were imperfect people, but they were perfect hearted and God empowered them and elevated them up. You've got to be an example this time. Julie, I want you to come up here real quick, Julie, real quick, come up here. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and no longer I live, but Christ, he now lives in me. Come on, the hope of glory. Now listen, I want to show you an illustration. My wife, Julie, is here. 
Now, Julie has been in the audience the entire time. She's been present. She's been sitting right there. But it wasn't until I spoke her name and I called her forth that you increased in your awareness that she was here. See, that this scripture, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Say his name to your friends. Say his name to your family. Say his name. Increase the awareness and say, I want people to know that everywhere I am, Jesus is here with me. If you're going to talk like that, do not cause me to stumble because Jesus is listening in on this conversation with me. And I would rather get his approval than your approval. Does somebody hear what I'm saying? Thanks, man. So step one, trust God. Step two, God, do you trust me? I'm not giving up, God. I'm not leaving, God. I know the church is messed up. I know that I'm just as messed up as the pastor's failing, but God, it doesn't mean you stop calling pastors. God, I know that dads are leaving second, third, fourth marriage, but I wanna stay married to Julie even if I can't stand her sometimes. Lord, you know how she is. Lord, being a dad is hard. Gas prices keep going up. Food's too expensive. I can't buy a house out here because it's three times more expensive than they used to be 10 years ago. I should have listened to your call to come to New York a decade ago. I just got that revelation while I was up here. He's like, I tried to help you, son. Tried to get you here before the famine. But this is the real pain. How can I afford college when I can't afford gas? How can I leave a legacy when I can't even leave them a slice of bread? But God, I'm not going anywhere. I'm surrendered to you. I'm childlike. I'm childlike. You're, you're Abba. I'm, I'm Bella and Everly's dad, but you're my dad and you're also their dad. And I'm childlike. I'm childlike. Just stay with me for a few more minutes. You know, the world's definition of greatness is who is the most independent. Oh, I don't have a boss. I'm my own boss. I'm independent. Oh, I own my home. I, and you have to go to the bank and pay your mortgage. Oh, I own that. The, the more independent you become, the more great you are. And the other definition of greatness in the world is how many accomplishments do you have that distance you from your peers? Oh, so I'm not like you because I've accomplished more than you. But see, in the kingdom, it's upside down. In the kingdom, it's the opposite of that. The definition of greatness in the kingdom is who among all of them is the most dependent on me. And God looks at that. Who's depending on God, I'm gonna preach this sermon, but I'm dependent on you. If you don't speak to your people through me, it has no power, God. I'm up here giving a speech without you. I'm dependent on you. He's looking, he's looking, he's looking. That's greatness is who's the most dependent. Do you see this? This is the revelation. And then he says this, I'm close to the brokenhearted. David, you were rejected by King Saul so that you can learn that I'm the king of all. Daniel, I saved you from the lions so that you would know that I'm the lion of the tribe of Judah and all lions surrender to me. Come on, Moses, I saved you from Pharaoh so that you would know that I'm the redeemer 
and I'm the one who saves. First Peter chapter five, verse six and seven says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may lift you up in due time. But then it says, cast all your anxieties upon him for he cares for you. You know, everybody quotes the second half of that scripture, but not the first half. Everybody wants to cast their anxieties, but what comes before releasing your anxieties is releasing your pride. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and in due season, he will lift you up. What am I saying? I'm saying all that false adulthood. That's what it is. It's false adulthood, false accomplishments, false security. Let it all go. Release it and say, I'm ready to run into the arms of my father and become childlike again. And that's where the freedom comes from. I love what it says in first Peter. It says, humble yourself because in due season, I will lift you up. You might have to go through a long season of watching everybody else get a house before he lifts you up and you get a house. You might go through a long season of watching everyone else's marriage repair while yours is still in disarray before God restores your marriage. You might have to watch many other people have kids before God opens your barren womb. Come on, somebody. Sometimes you go through a long, so when you're going through that season, embrace it and say, it's not changing my worship because he's still good even when it doesn't feel good. He's still working on it. He's still turning this thing around. I'm gonna pass my test. I'm gonna go all the way. This last word I want to release to you. When you see me, just a little boy, when you look at this, this little boy, just, just this little Pastor Mike, little Pastor Mike, I wanted to believe that I was in control now. I determined my fate. I control my finances. I control, I control, I control, I control. But see, the freedom that I received said if I actually bend down low before the Lord and humble myself and say, God, everything is false security. Everything is me trying to mask father wounds and I'm trying to convince people that I'm the man, but you're the man. I'm trying to convince people I'm the provider, but you're the provider. I'm trying to convince people that I'm the way maker, but you make a way where there seems to be no way. And I'm your child, and I'm going to allow you to chart my course, to give me wisdom. And I begin to humble myself, and in due season, the Lord lifts you up. I want to read a scripture. This is from the book of Job. I want to declare this scripture over your life. This scripture is going to be deposited into your spirit, and it's a word that is from the Lord for you. Job chapter 14, verse 7 and 9 says, At least there is hope for a tree. If it is cut down, it will sprout again, and its new shoots will not fail. Its roots may grow old in the ground, and its stump may die in the soil. Yet, at the scent of water, it will bud and pour, put forth shoots like a plant. You may have been chopped down when your daddy left you. You may have been chopped down when your spouse walked out on you. You may have been chopped down when they took your job from you. You may have been chopped down, but at the scent of water, the shoots will begin to come up and it will not fail. Jesus says, I am living.